back to Sad Girl Study Guides. As always, I'm your host, Amelia, and as always, I am sad. For the first time in several study guides, I'm back to recording in my closet with an actual microphone, so hopefully we'll see a return in somewhat normal sound quality. That being said, I have a new next-door neighbor who has a very cute dog, but that dog does have a habit of barking, so if you hear any animal noises during this study guide episode, that is why. I'll do my best to edit them out post-production, but who knows, maybe listeners want to hear an adorable puppy barking. As always, I want to say that I hope all of my listeners are doing their best to stay safe, healthy, and sane during the COVID crisis. If you are living in an area that is planning on reopening their schools, I hope that your local school district rethinks that policy because from a public health perspective, it really seems like, yeah, maybe not the best decision, but if your school district is going to reopen anyway, I hope the best for you and your children. My fingers are crossed for anyone school age. As of today, as I'm recording, it sounds like the Trump administration is rolling back their really dumb plan to kick out international students whose schools were going to be online only, so at least we have that small victory. But moving on to the subject of today's study guide, aka jumping back in history. Today's study guide subject is Angelina Wilde Grimke, who happens to be one of my favorite poets. I first began reading her during my senior year of college in a class about modern American female poets, and from the moment I read first poem of hers. I absolutely adored her poetry, and I have a special soft spot for Angelina Grimke's poetry because her poems were the first poems I taught in the first class I ever taught independently for that hot moment when I contemplated teaching in a classroom setting. So yay, Angelina Wilde Grimke. Her study guide has science fiction legends, yet more messy custody arrangements, and historical bisexuals. Let's begin. Angelina Weld Grimke was born February 27, 1880 in Boston, Massachusetts. Her parents were Sarah Stanley Grimke and Archibald Grimke. Her mother was a white woman who came from a prominent and wealthy Boston family. Her father, on the other hand, was the son of a South Carolina planter Henry Grimke, and one of Grimke's slaves, which meant that her father Archibald was born into slavery, but then was quasi-freed after his father's death, but then was forced to become a paid servant of one of his half-brothers, and then eventually fled to freedom by the time the American Civil War had started. When Angelina was born, Archibald Grimke had managed to become a well-known lawyer in Boston, as well as one of the first African-American graduates of Harvard Law School. Archibald Grimke was also a founding member of the NAACP, the U- a U.S. consul to the Dominican Republic, and a major supporter of women's suffrage. So yeah, all nice and casual. Angelina herself was named for one of her great aunts, her father's aunt, Angelina Grimke, who was a major abolitionist and suffragette. To distinguish 
her from her great aunt, Angelina went by the name Nana throughout her childhood. And for historical purposes, the Angelina we're talking about is usually called Angelina Weld Grimke, whereas her great aunt Angelina tends to be called just Angelina Grimke. In 1883, Angelina's parents separated and her mother took Angelina to live with her and her family, who had not approved of the marriage from the outset because, remember, Archibald is mixed-raced and interracial marriage in the 1880s was still extremely scandalous. However, in 1887, Archibald Grimke regained custody of Angelina, no doubt because he was a major lawyer in Boston, and Angelina would never see her mother again. However, the two would continue a years-long correspondence even after Sarah Stanley moved to Michigan. Throughout her childhood, Archibald Grimke sent Angelina to the best schools around, including the Fairmont Grammar School and the Girls' Latin School in Boston. Angelina also attended out-of-state schools, including the M Street School in Washington, D.C. and Carleton Academy in Minnesota. And across the board, Angelina was an excellent student. She did well in all of her classes, except for a single D-plus in a religion class. There was one downside in Angelina's education. During her time at the M Street School, she became very close friends with one of her classmates, Mamie Burrell. In fact, she and Mamie may have been overly close friends. Apparently, due to her relationship with Mamie Burrell, her father suddenly pulled her out of the M Street School and instead sent her to the Carleton Academy in far-off Minnesota for reasons. During her time at these various boarding schools, during the mid-1890s, while she was a teenager, Angelina started to write poetry. By the time she had graduated high school, Angelina had written about 40 poems, as well as several short stories, a few of which had been published in local magazines. In 1898, Angelina started college at the Boston Normal School of Gymnastics. And yes, I know, the title of that school makes it sound like it's some sort of training academy for the Olympics. But in the 1890s, normal schools were institutions to teach women how to become teachers. And the Boston Normal School of Gymnastics specifically was one of the better normal schools. It would eventually be renamed to Wellesley College. So yeah, not a school to turn your nose up at. And during her time at the Boston Normal School, Angelina would reunite with her high school friend, Mamie, who also was studying in Boston at Emerson College. There was some tragedy during Angelina's time in college. During her freshman year, her mother, who she was still close to, even though she hadn't seen her in years, died. Despite this, Angelina continued to excel academically. In 1902, she graduated from the Boston Normal School of Gymnastics with a BA in physical education. And if, like me, you're a little bit confused about why Angelina, who by all accounts and purposes was an amazing student, chose to pursue physical education of all fields, well, there are two 
possible explanations for this. The first of which is that Angelina's mother, Sarah Stanley, who had only recently died, loved the outdoors and was a big proponent for women being able to be as physically active as men. So maybe Angelina was honoring her mother by pursuing a degree in physical education. The other possibility is that after years of being an excellent student throughout high school, Angelina just wanted a bit of a break and decided to take a slightly easier path to a BA. Either option is totally valid, or it may have been a mix of the two. Either way, in 1902, when she was 22, she had her BA. And by the time she had graduated, Angelina had started a series of one-sided relationships with other women. In fact, we can trace these one-sided romantic relationships back to Angelina's high school days with Mamie Burrell. However, Angelina would stay in the closet until her death. The fact that she was attracted to other women didn't become public until 1987 when Professor Gloria Hull published her seminal work on Angelina Wilde Grimke, Color, Sex, and Poetry. And while Angelina Wilde Grimke was attracted to other women, according to her diary, she was also attracted to men as well, including a multi-year relationship with a male singer named Hinton Jones. So in my opinion, it might be more accurate to describe Angelina Wilde Grimke as a bisexual woman as opposed to a lesbian woman. A lot of sources describe her as the most prominent African the most prominent lesbian African-American poet of her day, but it might be better to call her the most prominent bisexual African-American poet of her day to avoid erasing that aspect of her identity. While gay and lesbian people tend to be erased from history, I think bisexual people are also erased and biphobia also exists, so we should challenge that as much as we can. After graduating from college, Angelina settled down in Boston briefly. She lived with a close friend of her father's, Joseph Lee, who, like her father, was a former slave who became prominent in Boston society. Unlike her father, Joseph Lee was not a lawyer. Instead, he had invented one of the first bread-kneading machines in the United States and ran a major catering business. Through her time living with the Lees, Angelina was able to expand her social circle and continue making connections with the African-American urban elite. Then she moved to Washington, D.C., where she was hired to teach physical education at an all-Black school within the Washington, D.C. school system. Because remember, Washington, D.C. was still segregated. And you might be saying, but wait, Amelia, I thought Angelina Wilde Grimke was three-fourths white. After all, her mother was all white and her father was half white. And I would say, yes, you're right. Your math there is perfect. But in the early 1900s, the United States operated under a one-drop rule when it came to being African-American. Basically, if you had any African-American ancestry, you were considered to be African-American, which meant that even though Angelina Wilde Grimke was technically majority white. 
she was considered to be African-American, which meant that she could only be hired to teach at all black schools. She got her first job teaching at the Armstrong Manual Training School, but she absolutely hated the job because Angelina was, well, a bit of a snob, and she thought that teaching at a industrial school was beneath her. So she purposely did a pretty shitty job as a PE teacher there and nearly got fired. However, then she and her father managed to pull some strings within the DC school system because they had some excellent connections because one, they were wealthy, and two, as it turned out, Angelina had an uncle who was a well-known preacher in Washington, D.C., and she quickly got a transfer to the M Street School, aka the school she had gone to as a teenager, which was now called the Dunbar School. As soon as Angelina got hired at the Dunbar School, she switched from teaching P.E. to teaching English, and as it turned out, she was a pretty awesome English teacher, and to make matters even better, her childhood friend slash love interest, Mamie Burrell, also happened to teach at the Dunbar School. The two would teach literature and drama at the school together for several decades. Throughout Angelina's time teaching in D.C., she would continue to visit Boston each summer to take classes in English literature at Harvard University. And according to her professors at Harvard, she continued to be quite the excellent student. In 1909, Angelina had her first poem published. The poem was called El Beso, and it was published in a local paper, the Boston Transcript, and was super well-reviewed by local white readers. However, the poem got a less positive reaction from African-American readers, interestingly enough, who felt like it wasn't relevant enough to the African-American experience. Two years later, Angelina got into a train accident, which fractured part of her spine. Unsurprisingly, this accident led to a slight pause in both her teaching and her writing activity. However, Angelina did recover and returned to writing. In 1916, she had her big break when she wrote a play, Rachel, for the NAACP to help gather community support against the hip against the hit film, The Birth of a Nation. And here's where I need to pause and quickly talk about The Birth of a Nation, because we need to understand it to understand why Angelina's play, Rachel, was so important. Basically, in 1915, director D.W. Griffith produced and released a silent film called The Birth of a Nation, and this film was a huge hit. It was one of the first feature-length films released in the United States, and within the film, D.W. Griffith did some really interesting things in terms of directorial and artistic choice. However, The Birth of a Nation is an extremely racist and problematic film. There is no denying it. First of all, it is based on a play whose title is The Klansman, that alone should tell us everything we need to know. But if you want more details, I can give you more details. I personally have not seen The Birth of a Nation. I really have no interest in seeing The Birth of a Nation. 
I have done a lot of reading on the film for various classes I have taken in my undergraduate career. If you want a really great look at the film, I would highly recommend listening to the amazing podcast done by Karina, Karina Longworth called You Must Remember This. She has delved into the film in several episodes. Basically, what you need to know about The Birth of a Nation is within it, D.W. Griffith portrays the KKK as this force for good and freed slaves in the post-Civil War South as essentially evil beings who will rape innocent white women and murder white men who have done nothing wrong. And obviously, that is not historically accurate. The Birth of a Nation, after it came out, was a huge hit and is partially responsible for the second wave revival of the KKK into the 1920s. And then there's the whole fact that D.W. Griffith himself was most likely a pedophile, which isn't really relevant to today's podcast subject, but is still something to remember. Obviously, the NAACP was not a fan of The Birth of a Nation and tried to ban the film and get major cities like Boston to ban movie theaters from showing it. This ban failed on First Amendment grounds, which you could argue is good from a free speech perspective, but obviously that's complicated and I'm not a constitutional lawyer. Because the ban failed, a lot of African-American artists and writers began creating pieces to explicitly criticize the birth of a nation, and Angelina Wilde Grimke's play Rachel was one of them. In 1916, her play ended up getting performed by an all-black cast in Washington, D.C., which meant that Angelina Wilde Grimke was the first African-American woman to have a play produced and performed in the United States. Rachel is also considered to be the first American play specifically written to show what life for African Americans was like in the post-slavery United States. And despite its controversial themes, even though showing what life for minorities is like shouldn't be controversial, Rachel ended up getting mostly positive reviews, even by white critics. H.G. Wells, for example, loved the play and raved about it in his diary. Four years later, Rachel was published in print form and continued to get excellent reviews. After Rachel, Angelina continued to write short stories that dealt with similar themes, specifically the prejudice that African Americans faced, as well as the role of lynching in African American life. Interestingly enough, she submitted two of these short stories the Closing Door in Goldie to a journal that promoted the right for women to use birth control. And when I first read about this, alarm bells kind of went off in my head because usually when we're talking about the late 19-teens and early 1920s and birth control and African Americans, we start getting into the eugenics movement and obviously that is not good. However, Angelina Wilde Grimke was not arguing for eugenics, thank goodness. Instead, she was arguing that life for African Americans was so bad in the United States 
specifically in the South under the Jim Crow system, that women should have the right to determine if they want to have children or not. Around this time, she also had several of her stories published in the African American magazine Opportunity as well. As the 1920s continued, Angelina Wilde Grimke continued to be vocally opposed to lynching. In 1922, for the first time, an anti-lynching bill, the Geyer anti-lynching bill, was taken up by the, US, by the U.S. House of Representatives. It was proposed by a white Republican representative who represented a majority African-American district in Missouri. And just for context, his name was Leonidas Dyer, so good for you, Leo Dyer. We stand. This bill was supported by President Warren G. Harding and passed the House, which was huge. However, the bill ended up being blocked by the Senate, so it did not become law. Dyer and the NAACP had worked together on the bill, and Angelina was a huge supporter of the bill, which makes sense given her writings against lynching, and pushed both publicly and privately for the bill to become law. And that was in 1922. For reference, as of June 2020, lynching is still, is still not a federal crime in the United States. So while we have come far in some ways, we still have a long ways to go in other ways. By the mid-1920s, Angelina began to return to her roots of writing poetry. While most of her previous poetry had been published in local outlets that were aimed at more white audiences, by the mid-1920s, Angelina wanted to publish her work in magazines and outlets that were focused on more African-American audiences. So she worked very closely with an African-American sociologist and civil rights activist, Charles Spurgeon Johnson, to figure out where to publish her poems. And her post-1920s poems were mostly going to be published in magazines such as Crisis, Opportunity, and other such outlets that we've already discussed in this series. Many of her poems were also included in anthologies by leading Harlem Renaissance figures such as Lane Locke and County Cullen. And while her poems were hugely successful, she never published a standalone book of her poems. By 1930, Angelina's writing started to dry up. Her father's health took a serious decline, and she started to focus more on caring for her father, which made sense because the two had been so close for so much of her life. And because she was caring for her father, she put her writing on hold, which is a trend we have seen with so many of these female writers. It really fits in to that larger question of women and the second shift. Women's public and personal lives are so tightly related. What happens at home for women is work in a way that just isn't the case for so many male creatives. When Angelina's father died in 1930, her writing career was pretty much over. Then in 1933, 
Angelina Wild Grimke officially retired from teaching at the Dunbar School. She had been struggling with her teaching career since that railroad accident that had fractured part of her spine way back in 1911. For almost for over two decades, she'd been dealing with chronic pain and ill health. After her retirement, she moved from Washington, D.C. to Brooklyn, New York. But after moving to New York, Angelina continued to struggle. In New York, she felt out of place and had trouble making social connections. As a result, she became pretty much a recluse, although financially she maintained a lot of stability due to her family's wealth. After moving to New York, she never rode again. And due to her reclusive state, we really don't know anything about her life in New York until she died on June 10th, 1958, at the age of 78 in New York City. Some scholars don't quite consider Angelina Wild Grimke to be a full-on member of the Harlem Renaissance because she was a bit older than some of the other leading writers of the Harlem Renaissance and because she was publishing earlier than the beginning of the Harlem Renaissance. However, I disagree with its assessment. After all, Angelina Wild Grimke worked closely with quite a few of the key members of the Harlem Renaissance, like Alan Locke and County Colin. Also, her poems had a deep influence on many, on many members of the Harlem Renaissance and were included in anthologies that were being edited by leading members of the Harlem Renaissance and were being produced during the Harlem Renaissance and continue to be included in anthologies of the Harlem Renaissance. As also, you have a lot of male writers and figures who are the same age as Angelina Wild Grimke and were writing at the same time as Angelina Wild Grimke who are considered to be members of the Harlem Renaissance. So I think counting them but not her is a little suspect. I don't want to say it's sexism, but yeah, it might be sexism. Many of Angelina Wild Grimke's poems are written in the modernist style. If it's been a while since you sat in on an English class and you don't remember what modernism is when it comes to poetry, basically most people consider modernist poetry to be poetry from the second decade of the 20th century, basically the 1910s. It was considered to be pioneered by actual fascist Ezra Pound. It's defined by its use, by its use of free and blank verse, aka it has no rhyme and no strict meter, and it contains a lot of strong imagery. However, Angelina Wild Grimke had been doing all of those things in her poems since the 1890s, long before actual fascist Ezra Pound. So maybe we should consider Angelina Wild Grimke and not an actual fascist to be the starter of modernist poetry, or maybe Angelina Wild Grimke was just ahead of her time, some food for thought. In addition to most of her poems being written in the modernist style, many of her poems are love poems of some sort that use an ambiguously gendered narrator, which is interesting and makes sense given her sexual identity. Finally, 
Angelina used a lot of nature imagery within her poems, which is interesting because Angelina lived the majority of her life in one of three cities, Boston, Washington, D.C., or New York City. In addition to her poetry, Angelina Waldgrimke is most famous for her 1916 play, Rachel. The play tells the story of a middle-class African-American family that is made up of a widow and her two children, Tom and Rachel. Their father was lynched before the play starts for trying to protect an innocent African-American man, and throughout the play, Tom and Rachel are unable to find jobs despite being overly qualified because they are African-American. The play ends with Rachel having a breakdown after her adopted son is tormented due to their race. Due to its depiction of the difficulties that African-Americans faced throughout the United States due to their race, Rachel received rave reviews by both African-American and white critics, and with the production of Rachel in 1916, Angelina Waldgrimke became the first African-American woman in American history to have a play produced. A lot of Angelina's other non-poetic work, including a non-performed play, Mara, and many of her short stories dealt with the role of lynching in post-Reconstruction African-American life. After her father's death in 1930, Angelina and her writing really fell out of the public eye. This was not helped by the fact that much of Angelina's poetry, especially her explicitly lesbian poems, remained unpublished during her lifetime. Angelina Waldgrimke did not return to an academic focus until the publication of Professor Gloria Hull's 1987 book, Color, Sex, and Poetry. And as a side note, in addition to writing extensively about Angelina Waldgrimke and other major female poets of the Harlem Renaissance, Gloria Hull has done a lot to expand the field of women's studies to include non-white women, specifically African-American women. Another thing that I personally noticed while I was researching Angelina Waldgrimke for this specific episode is that when you type her name into Google, the first articles and pages he pop up are things about her white great aunt, Angelina Grimke. And while Angelina Grimke did many important things for both abolitionism and the suffragette movement, I do think it's a little problematic that a white woman who technically had a different name, after all, it's Angelina Grimke versus Angelina Weld Grimke comes up. We are, search engines are literally erasing a woman of color for a white woman who did different things. So that was an interesting experience that I ran across, and I wonder if that maybe has something to do with why Angelina Weld Grimke isn't quite as known she might literally be getting erased by search engines and databases. So, for those fans of the study guides who prefer bullet points to a full-on lecture, let's quickly recap the life of Angelina Weld Grimke, not Angelina Grimke, her famous great aunt. 
Angelina Wildkrimke was born in Boston, Massachusetts in 1880. Her mother, Sarah Stanley, came from a wealthy white family, and her father, Archibald Grimke, was the son of a South Carolina plantation owner and one of his slaves. Her father escaped from slavery, graduated from Harvard Law School, and became a well-known African-American lawyer in Boston, as well as a founding member of the NAACP. In 1883, when Angelina was only three years old, her parents separated. She briefly lived with her mother before her father regained custody of her. Growing up, Angelina's father sent her to the best schools in Boston, Washington, D.C., and Minnesota. During her time attending school in Washington, D.C., she became extremely close with one of her classmates, mainly Burl, which was probably the first time that Angelina Wild Grimke, who would live most who would live her entire life in the closet, had romantic interest in another woman. By the time Angelina Wild Grimke was a teenager, she started writing poetry. By the time she had graduated college, she had written around 40 poems. Angel Angelina Wild Grimke went to the Boston Normal School of Gymnastics, which would later become a Wellesley College for college. At the Boston Normal School, she studied physical education and graduated with a BA in 1902. After graduating college, she moved to Washington, D.C., where she was hired to teach PE at a local all-black school. However, she didn't like the first school she taught at, was almost fired, but then using some family connections, managed to get transferred to the high school that she had attended as a teenager. When she was teaching at that high school, which her childhood friend Mamie also coincidentally happened to teach at, she switched from teaching PE to teaching English. And as it turned out, she was an amazing English teacher. She would teach at this school until 1933. While teaching English, she started publishing poems in 1909. In 1911, her writing and teaching career was briefly derailed, no pun intended, by a train accident which fractured part of Angelina's spine. However, by 1916, she had recovered enough to write a play, Rachel, as part of an NAACP project to gather community support against D.W. Griffith's amazingly racist film, The Birth of a Nation. When Rachel was produced later that year in Washington, D.C. with an all-black cast, Angelina Wild Grimke became the first African-American woman in U.S. history to have a play produced. Angelina Wild Grimke would continue writing plays and short stories that protested the conditions that African-Americans faced within the post-Reconstruction United States, specifically lynching. Throughout the 1920s, Angelina vocally supported anti-lynching bills, specifically the dire anti-lynching bill of 1922, which passed the House but failed in the Senate. By the mid-1920s, Angelina had shifted her focus from plays and short stories back to poetry. Her poems were largely published in African-American magazines like Crisis and Opportunity, as well as in anthologies edited by leading African-American writers like Alan Locke and County Cullen. Most of her poems were written in the modernist style and focused on themes around love and nature imagery. However, in 1930, Angelina's 
father died, and her writing career ended. Three years later, she retired from teaching and moved to Brooklyn, New York, where she would live in reclusion until her death in 1958 at the age of 78. So, that is Angelina Wildgrimke and her life. As I always do when I'm talking about an author, I am going to close out this episode with one of her poems. I chose the poem A Mona Lisa, which is one of her later but most famous poems. I chose this poem because I think it really illustrates her use of that ambiguously gendered narrator, and like so many of her poems, it discusses themes of love, and we get to see that really strong modernist imagery, as well as that modernist use of free and blank verse. A Mona Lisa. I should like to creep through the long brown grasses that are your lashes. I should like to poise on the very brink of the leaf brown pools that are your shadowed eyes. I should like to cleave without sound their glimmering waters, their unrippled waters. I should like to sink down and down and down and deeply drown. Would I be more than a bubble breaking or an ever widening circle ceasing at the marge? Would my white bones be the only white bones wavering back and forth, back and forth in their depths? For this episode, most of my research came from Gloria Hull's seminal work on Angelina Weld Grimke, Color, Sex, and Poetry, from two books by Maureen Honey, Aphrodite's Daughters, Three Modernist Poets of the Harlem Renaissance, and Shadow Dreams, Women's Poetry of the Harlem Renaissance, from Richard Brody's New Yorker article, The Black Activist Who Fought Against D.W. Griffith's The Birth of a Nation, the NAACP's page on the dire anti-lynching bill, and on the Black Past articles on Angelina Wild Grimke and and her father, Archibald Grimke. As always, For a full bibliography and relevant images, you can visit the website sadgirlstudyguides.com. For questions, comments, concerns, and if you want to send in suggestions for future study guide subjects, you can email the podcast at sadgirlstudyguides at gmail.com. If you want to financially help the podcast, you can do so by becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sadgirlstudyguides. We have a bunch of different tiers with different rewards. Personally, my favorite reward is getting access to our bi-weekly tangent cast where we talk about people, places, or things that don't quite fit in to a regular length study guide. Some of our recent Harlem Renaissance related tangent casts include discussions of Queenie Sinclair, a Harlem mob boss who showed the men of Harlem what was what. Next time, our subject will be Eulalie Spence, Harlem Renaissance playwright and producer whose legacy lives on in New York City. As always, if you want to reach out to the podcast on social media, we have the Twitter, Sad Girl Study Pod, and the Instagram, Sad Girl Study Guides. 
The best way to help the podcast grow is to tell a friend or subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Please let us know how we're doing. Read a review or else I'll be sad. Thanks. Bye.